Well, good morning, church. Can we just do something and just take a deep breath in and then just exhale? We're going to enter into a series called The Sabbath, and I'm really excited for this series. Uh, it's a series where hopefully we, we get to actually practice the Sabbath. We actually get to enjoy God and actually stop from our work and stop from the busyness and to really enter into the peace that God promises us. Um, you know, if you are new here, uh, we just want to welcome you. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors. And I do have the privilege of uh, kicking, off, kicking off our new sermon series in the Sabbath. Uh, well, if you know, every, um, every year we enter into something called Lent. And Lent are the 40 days uh, preceding Easter. And so what we do traditionally in this church is we take that time to do a 40-day campaign. And starting last year, we decided to start doing the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices, if you would. And um, so we did an overview last year of all the spiritual practices and what they are. And so if you'd like to listen to that, you can go back to our YouTube and podcast and listen to those. Uh, but this year, uh, we're going to start on our first practice, and we're going to be doing the Sabbath. And then the following year, we'll do probably prayer, uh, and then after that, so on and so forth. But each year, we'll, during this 40 days, we'll focus in on a particular Christian practice and really practice it. Uh, and as I mentioned, today is the Sabbath. And so one of the um, questions that I got was, why the Sabbath? Why is the first one? And, and here's the reason why. It's because think about what the Sabbath represents, right? It is the gospel that we are practicing when we practice the Sabbath. What is the gospel? The gospel is you saying, Jesus Christ, I rest in your work on the cross. I'm not going to work for my salvation. I can't earn my salvation. In fact, I, I can't earn my identity, my love, my acceptance. I can't earn anything, Jesus. I'm going to rest upon your work on the cross. And if you've been a part of the church, you've known that we tell you meditate on the gospel, meditate on the gospel. And of course, you should be meditating on the gospel to get that love deeper into your hearts. But one of the ways we can practice the gospel is by Sabbathing, by actually saying, God, I'm not going to look at my schoolwork. I'm not going to look at my occupation, my nine to five. I'm not going to look at these efforts to find my identity, to find my acceptance, to find my worth. But I'm going to stop it for a whole day. And give that day over to you. Enjoy the gifts you've already given to me. Enjoy the love you've already shown me. And just, and just take that time to delight and to worship in you. And so here's the thing. There's a big correlation between the gospel and the Sabbath. And here's the point. The gospel is an invitation. You're invited to the gospel. No one coerces you, forces you, manipulates you to the gospel, right? No one sticks a knife to your throat and says, you better believe the gospel, right? It's an invitation, Hey, here's Jesus. Here's his work on the cross. You can either believe it and take it or you can reject it. And the Sabbath is the same way. We are, our goal here is to not to shame, not to guilt, not to coerce, not to manipulate, not to force anyone into the Sabbath. But we're just inviting all of you along for the ride. I'm going to be Sabbathing. I've Sabbathed before and I've been Sabbathing, but I've, I've taken a different form of it now. And, and we're inviting you on into that journey of just Sabbathing with us because it is indeed an invitation um, uh, you know, I, I want you to remember this, okay? This is, this is the most important part, that it is an invitation. And so some of you in here are pumped. You're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go, okay? And some of you are like, oh, I don't know. And that's okay. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. So what we'll do here in this uh, sermon today, it'll be a little bit different, okay? Uh, I'm going to tell you details about the Sabbath for you to prepare for it, okay? Uh, and then in the second half of today's sermon, I'll actually dive into the spiritual practices a bit, okay? Uh, and then we'll stand, we'll read, I'll do all that stuff. But right now what I want to do is kind of do an extended announcement on the Sabbath, okay? 
Um, so uh, again, it's it's a it's a it's a practice that we invite you to. If you decide not to do it, that's a okay. But here's what we're just asking you to do, okay? If you decide not to practice the Sabbath, that is a okay. No shame, no guilt, no nothing, okay? But we're just asking you to not discourage other people from practicing it. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's this thing that happens in community groups, okay? Community groups function very differently than like sports teams or CrossFit teams or whatever, athletics, okay? In athletics, right, the trend is to move upwards towards the most passionate person. But in community groups, it tends to move downwards towards the most cynical person. You know what I'm saying? So let me, uh, right? So CrossFit, let's just say you're new at CrossFit. You join the CrossFit gym. You're like kind of new, but you're struggling, right? But there's a guy who's super passionate who's been doing CrossFit for like 50 years or whatever. And he's like, come on, you can do it. Come on, pump those hips, right? Pump those arms, right? And they call you upwards. And you're like, yeah. Even though you're discouraged, you don't actually pull the whole group down with you. You know what I'm saying? But in community groups, what happens is, and I don't know why this is, but you, you know, you can have people on fire for the Sabbath. Let's do the Sabbath, guys. Come on, come on. But then there might be that one person who's like, why are you guys doing that? It's so stupid. And all of a sudden, the whole group deflates. And that's all we're asking you to do. Okay, if you decide not to practice the Sabbath, that is a-okay, but don't discourage other people to, from doing it. Don't get all cynical and be like, what are you guys doing? Like, does the Bible even say you should Sabbath and all, right? Again, there's a difference between curiosity and cynicism. And if you're genuine, genuinely curious and you're like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, what is that? That's great. Like, why are you guys doing that? Or how do you do that, right? If you're asking those questions, great. Ask them. But if you're just there being cynical because maybe you feel guilty because you're not doing it, because that's what happens sometimes, right? Like, this is why I get angry at vegans for no reason. I'm a carnivore. I love my meat. And vegans sit there eating their vegetables. I'm like, what are you doing? Right? I get so angry because their life kind of shames me sometimes. Even though they don't mean to. They're not trying to. But it just, like, shames me. I'm like, oh, man, maybe I should start. So I get angry. So don't let other people's practice of the Sabbath kind of make you feel shameful or guilty. Because that could happen. And then you might become cynical and pessimistic. And then you could bring the whole group down with you. So don't do that is what we're asking you, okay? Now, let's talk about the details, okay? Because the Sabbath is a practice, okay, you're practicing the gospel, and because it is an invitation, I hesitate to give you clear guidelines about what to do and what not to do. Because each and every single one of you, there are a hundred different contexts and a hundred different situations, right? Some of you in here are students, and you have a lot of autonomy right now. Some of you are parents over children, and you have less autonomy. Some of you are CEOs of companies, and you have a great amount of autonomy, right? So you're, the amount of control you have over your life is going to differ from person to person, okay? Uh, and so that's why I, I, I hesitate to give you, like, hard and fast rules about the Sabbath. And, and in, in addition, I don't want this to become a checklist, right? Oh, I did Sabbath. You didn't. Haha, look at me. I'm better than you, right? We don't want it to become that. What we want you to know is that whatever you start doing today or tomorrow or whenever you start to practice, okay, just know that that's not what it's going to look like 15 years from now. And that's our hope. Our hope is that you would continuously practice the Sabbath for the rest of your life and that over time it would grow. So, so maybe you're not practicing it perfectly. It's okay. You're starting somewhere. You're doing it. That's great. Praise God for that. Um, Ten years later, it'll look very different. So just know that you're on a journey. It's not supposed to be perfect today. So here's, here's where, you know, maybe I can give you some helpful things though, okay? Um, Sabbath is this, okay? Uh, this is my own definition. This is not from the Bible, but this is just my Eric knows definition, okay? Sabbath is stopping your quote-unquote work for a 24-hour period and taking that time to enjoy God, to enjoy His creation, to enjoy the gifts He's given to you. Okay, uh, to not desire for more, not to want more, not to yearn for more, but to be satisfied in what he's given to you. 
And so work uh, uh, is defined like this. And again, this is something I came up with. I didn't Google this. It's not in the Bible nowhere, okay? But whatever you do for the majority of your waking hours that contributes to your advancement. So for most of you, it's going to be your 9 to 5. But for some of you, you're homemakers. And that'll be your homemaking stuff that you do for majority of it, right? Maybe it's you stop cooking and cleaning for a whole day. You stop doing pickup and drop off for the kids. You stop, um, uh, you know, buying things for the home to make it more beautiful, right? You stop looking on social media to see what other homemakers are doing, right? Uh, whatever it is, you stop that. Uh, if you're retired, right, maybe you stop from whatever it is that, that makes you feel like you're still advancing in life because you still need that purpose and so you stop advancing in that field. Maybe it's your stocks. Maybe it's your retirement account, but you stop that for a 24-hour period. And for most of us, right, Sabbath will happen on Sunday just because of the way our, our society is designed. But, but for some of us, like myself, it'll happen from Friday night to Saturday night. For some of us, it'll happen on a Wednesday. Uh, for others of us, it might be on a Monday. But whatever the case is, we, we just want to encourage you to take a 24-hour period where you stop uh, striving and desiring and just be content in the things that God has given to you. Okay, so, uh, so not only is it a stopping, right, but we also want to encourage you towards other activities where you get to enjoy God where you get to enjoy his gifts, where you get to worship and delight in God. So here are some ideas, right? You can spend extended time in his word. You can spend extended time praying and worshiping on your Sabbath. You can spend time with other communities of people or friends who are trying to Sabbath and enjoy their presence. You can take walks, okay? You can make love to your spouse. You can go on a date with your spouse. You can hold hands with your spouse. You can enjoy your children by playing with them and enjoying them. You can enjoy a hike in the Pacific Northwest. My goodness, one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth that God has given to us. You can do all sorts of things. In other words, what's, what's more important, I think, for the Sabbath is that you prepare for the Sabbath. And so this is why, listen to me very carefully, we're not going to, or you can if you want to, uh, but we're not asking you, inviting you yet to practice the Sabbath. We're going to start practicing the Sabbath on week three. Today's week one. Okay, so uh, don't, I mean, you can, you can, uh, you're invited to practice the Sabbath whenever you want. But, but what we're asking you is to start practicing it on week three because we realize you need a time to prepare for the Sabbath. Because let me put the Sabbath like this, okay? The Sabbath is not like prayer. It's not like reading scripture. It's not like fasting, right? Those things you can add to your life. So imagine with me a piece of bread, right? It's like the sprinkles that go on top of a bread, like the sesame seeds, whatever you put on bread, okay? That you can add. But Sabbath is actually rearranging your whole life. It's, 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 it's like, let's just say you bake bread with uh, enriched white uh, flour, but now you want to make wheat bread. What do you got to do? You got to go back to the beginning and start all over again because the stuff that it's made of, you need to change. And this is why the Sabbath is so difficult because you can never fall into the Sabbath, the Sabbath is not reactionary. The Sabbath is not something you could just kind of like, oh, okay, I'll just live it today, you know. Uh, it's something that you have to plan in order to accomplish it. And so you're going to have to have conversations with friends to be like, hey, do you want a Sabbath with me? It'll be helpful. Uh, you have to uh, be able to have conversations with your spouse. You have to have conversations with your managers, with your coworkers, with your team. You have to sacrifice advancement and you have to come to grips with that, right? And, 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 and so on and so forth. And so it's going to take you time to prepare because what we're asking you to do is to reorient your entire life. So let me give you an example from my own life, right? When I first came to this church, I promised myself I would finish the sermons by Thursday night or by Thursday morning, actually. 
Because I would always enter my Sabbath on Friday and I didn't want the sermon hanging over my head. So actually from Friday, Saturday, I don't look at my sermon at all. The next time I look at it is actually on Sunday morning, today. So even this sermon, I was done with it on Thursday morning. I sent it off to Pastor Clara. She gives me feedback. But I don't even look at that feedback until Sunday morning basically. Because I want to be done. That's You have to rearrange your life in order to Sabbath. And so here's what a, a, a you know, so and, and here's the last piece of the Sabbath, okay? Especially for us young people, right, we could say, okay, oh, that's great. That's easy to do. I'm just going to drown myself in Netflix and video games for 15 hours. And here's my encouragement to you, okay? Let's not try to do that. Try not to drown yourself in Netflix for 12 hours. Try not to drown yourself in video games, but try to Sabbath from technology as well. Because it's part of the thing that's driving you. It's part of the thing that's hurrying your life. That's part of the thing that's causing stress and chaos in your life. And you're not actually resting in God. Resting in God means enjoying his gifts, enjoying the people, enjoying him, worshiping him, delighting him, stopping from advancing, right? This is what we're calling you to. But technology will take it and sap it away. And so again, we're not asking you to do it perfectly. We're just asking you to consider and to prepare and to, to just begin the conversations around this, okay? So here's what a potential Sabbath could look like for you. And then I'll tell you what my wife and I did, okay? So here's what a potential Sabbath could look like for you, okay? It could be waking up on a Sunday morning like today, coming to church as you are now, and then planning to eat lunch with your community group or your, your friends here at church right after service. Or maybe just eating with your family after service. Then after you eat lunch, you take a nap. Right? You wake up, you take a walk, or you pray, or you pray with your friends, you pray with your family, or you, you, you do something that, that where you're engaging God. And then you spend time talking with your friends and enjoying your friends, maybe playing a board game or something like that. And then you close the night out with dinner with your family or with your friends, or just by yourself as well, maybe just taking that time to really eat with the Lord. And then you can close the night by reading scripture or a book and then falling asleep early and then getting the needed rest so you can begin the week. Uh, you know, for me personally, I used a Sabbath on Fridays. That was my day. But what I realized is during the Sabbath practice, I realized an area that I can grow in is that I actually ask my kids to work uh, all the time. Like they never take a break, right? My kids have Taekwondo on Saturdays, right? They're doing all this stuff. And so I decided, you know, what would be better is if we all Sabbath together on Saturdays. So Friday night to Saturday night is when we Sabbath, uh, was when we started Sabbathing. And uh, yesterday or Friday night, we started by eating dinner. We followed that time. My wife went out to hang out with her friends. Uh, I put the kids to bed. After I put the kids to bed, I cleaned up a little bit. I read some books, and then I fell asleep. I got like, I think I got like nine hours from Friday to Saturday night. It was beautiful. My wife, I think my wife came home at 10.30, and I was already passed out by that time. Uh, Saturday morning, we woke up. I came to prayer service. Afterwards, we, um, uh, we took our kids to a playground. We played. Uh, afterwards, we went to eat lunch. Then we went to the mall. We walked around there. And then after the mall, we um, just came back home. And then my wife took a nap. I laid down on our carpet for an hour and a half just doing nothing. Like, literally, I just did nothing. I just laid on our carpet. I was kind of like, okay, my kids are playing. They're just kind of doing stuff, right? They're, they were playing with their toys. And I just did nothing. And I felt incredibly terrible for doing nothing. Like, I felt like I needed a checklist to, like, do stuff, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to do nothing. And then uh, we went on a walk, uh, for a family walk, and then we came home, we ate dinner, and then that was the end of our Sabbath. Really relaxing, but it was hard because you have to rearrange your life. And so as we talked it over with our staff, the big word that came to my mind was preparation, preparation, preparation. You need time to prepare. So um, look at, if you look at the screens here, 
okay um week one today we're going to talk about the spiritual practices we'll kind of do an overview of them again and then next week we'll do a sabbath overview and then week three is when we start practicing the sabbath that's on march 12th okay uh, and on week three is when we begin looking at the four aspects of the sabbath okay there's stop there's rest there's worship and there, there's delight and, and we'll keep adding some things to your sabbath practice so again it doesn't have to look perfect but as the weeks go on hopefully we can add some or not add but like to, to just kind of add some thinking to your to your sabbath okay and so what we hope to do is that you go back now and you prepare for the Sabbath over the next two weeks. And you begin having conversations with your spouse, with your friends, with your community group, with your managers, with your bosses, with yourself, with God. And you start asking these questions, God, what do you want from me? What looks good with you and me right now? Where do I need to begin resting? And so every Sunday, you'll hear me teach. We'll practice it, and then we'll discuss it in our community groups. In addition, what we've done is on our website, we've created a website just for this 40-day campaign. And on that website, you'll find a guide called the Sabbath Guide with Reach Exercises. Uh, I encourage you to download that. That will help you to build out your own Sabbath that, that really fits your context. Um, but at the same time, they're going to give you something called Reach Exercises. And that's really what it means. It's a, it's a stretch, right? And so some of this stretching would be like this, right? They, they, they'll encourage you to do something like this get eight hours of sleep every night of the week for the whole week and all of you are like no ways I'm pretty sure none of you got eight hours of sleep last night including myself um, but but it'll give you some ideas another idea is they say do a digital sabbath too right don't even uh, don't even look at your phones don't even like uh, turn it all off like power it all down so that your work can't reach you none of that stuff right just power it all down um, but so there are these reach exercises in there that you can consider doing as well. Uh, in addition, if you want to reach and you want extra credit, you're like one of those students who's like, I love extra credit. I love doing it all the time. Um, uh, we have books there for you. There's three books that we recommend, Dan Allender's Sabbath. We recommend John Mark Comer's uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And then Walter Brueggemann, who's a, a scholar, um, he wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. You can read those books. You don't have to read them. Um, we also included a podcast called... Um, the rule of life podcast um and uh, they have a uh, six weeks on the sabbath so they have stop rest uh, worship and delight but then they also have two interviews with um with people who actually practice the sabbath regularly so a guy named andy crouch who's a leader uh, in the church and then tish warren as well as a as uh, a leader in the church world and so uh um andy as well as tish talk about uh, their experiences with the sabbath okay um so again that's a reach that's if you want more you want to do extra credit all that stuff that's there for you too okay and that's on our website if you go to our sunday uh, page uh, in the drop down there's a 40-day campaign link there and then you can go and get all those resources there okay that's all the details okay it's up to you now again we invite you to this don't feel like you're forced or compelled to we're just inviting you along uh, for this ride and we believe with our heart of hearts that Jesus knows the best way to live and he's giving it to us and so if you feel hurried anxious tired worn out he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I Christ will give you rest so let's let's turn now to our passage this morning okay I know you have a lot of questions um, ask them to your community groups this week they're going to compile questions they're going to give it back to me so I can kind of answer them throughout the weeks um, so so don't think that your questions are all said and done okay if you have them bring them to your community groups okay all right we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 to 7 uh, this is going to be short don't worry we don't have like a whole thing planned um, it'll be a short um, sort of uh, sermon on the spiritual practices but at this time if you're able would you rise Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 to 7 
reading from the English Standard Version. I'll read this for us. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with thanks be to God. I'll pray for us and then I'll seat you after the prayer. This is the reading of God's word. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor and feasts at the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for you, and I'll seat you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Oh Lord, would you help us to rest in your presence now? to rest in your word, to rest in your works, not in our own. And God, may we practice our faith, Lord. Would you give us the energy? Would you give us the trust and the faith, Lord, to really practice what we believe, Lord? We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, Okay, we have two points, two points only, the peril of knowledge, and then we're going to talk about the practice of knowledge. The peril of knowledge and then the practice of knowledge. Uh, you know, in college, I struggled a, a lot with doubt, a lot, a lot of doubts. And there were tons and tons of things that I doubted about. But one of the areas that I doubted in was simply this. I said, God, why am I not transforming? Like, like I still deal with lust. I still deal with shame. I still deal with guilt and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and selfishness and greed. I, I, like, I feel like I'm the same. But scripture tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll be up here on the screens for you. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I was like, Jesus, what do you mean? Like, I feel like I'm the same person week in and week out. I struggle with the same things. I'm not getting any better. What is going on? The only people that I saw transformation in were those hardcore, like, drug addicts or prisoners who go to jail, and then they have this awakening experience, this road to Damascus experience, and then all of a sudden, they're a new creation. And I used to look at those stories, and even those stories, I used to look with the little cynicism. I'm like, really? Are you really changed? I don't believe in that. I don't believe that there's power out there sometimes because I don't experience it. In addition, when I looked at the Capital C Church, I saw, I saw so much hypocrisy and hurt. I saw leaders who would lift their hands in worship and be like praising God. And then they would treat their families like garbage. Or they would treat their friends like garbage. Or they would be jerks and they would be so insider focused. And I'm like, really? Like, what are you worshiping? Like, how is that transforming your life? I would see pastors falling from grace. I saw the church being insider focused and exclusive. And I saw so many people not being healed by the capital C church, but being hurt by it. And all that to say, where is the transformative power of the gospel? Why am I not experiencing it? Why don't I see it experienced in other people's lives? Or even if they talk about this power that they've experiencing, I don't see it in their lives. Like, where are you, Jesus, in all of this? Look, and then it dawned on me. It dawned on me why it is that the church is the way it is. And here's what I ultimately came to the conclusion of. It's because we think that as the church, we think that believing something means that we're transformed. It, we, we think that we, we are like, 
we are confused by the fact that knowledge equals transformation. Insight equals transformation, but it does not, friends. Just because you believe something does not mean transformation. Let me take you on a little journey here, but I'll come back to this, okay? The Enlightenment period of the West, you guys remember this, right, in history class, right? It was a season where logic, reason, science took leaps and bounds forward, right? Philosophy, all this stuff, right? And, man, we saw so much progress in the Western world because of Enlightenment. But what simultaneously happened during this time is we became, we became so focused in on knowledge and rationale that we almost like became, uh, it became like our idol. And what we did was in the past, they used to train pastors and lawyers and doctors like this. Uh, they used to say, hey, like, why don't you apprentice under a master or a teacher? And so literally doctors would just apprentice. Uh, lawyers would apprentice. Pastors would apprentice. They would, they would uh, learn. They would watch. Um, somebody else model it for them. And then they would practice it. And then they would reflect on those practices. But then during the Enlightenment period, they said, you know what? Let's take all of this learning and let's put it into the form of a university. You have to go to the university. You have to go get this degree. And then once you get this degree, then you're qualified. And don't get me wrong, university is great. A lot of you are college students. I went to college, right? I, I love the university. But right, we believed all of a sudden that once you get this degree, then you can go and do whatever it is that you want to do. And yet that was not true. This is why they had to start infusing back into these uh, things like practices, right? Where now doctors have to do residency, internships, right? Lawyers have to apprentice, right? Even pastors now in seminary school, they, they add this apprenticeship piece to seminaries now. And what happened in the Western world sort of took place in Christianity as well. We went through the same thing as Christians. We began equating knowledge and insight to transformation. We thought, okay, the way to transform is just learn about the Bible, sit in a Bible study, or sit in church, learn something, and then I'm transformed. In fact, think about it like this, right? If you grew up in church, right, and maybe you had this thought once, or you're like, okay, like, I gotta, uh, like, I, I want to get more serious about Christ. Like, I haven't been going to church. Like, I haven't been living rightly. What was your first thought? Your first thought was probably something like this. I got to, you know, I, I got to learn more again. I got to go to a Bible study. I got to get, and don't get me wrong. I love the Bible. I love Bible studies. I think they're great. But that's where our mind goes towards is knowledge. But knowledge won't change you. Knowledge is knowledge. It puffs you up, Paul says, but it doesn't change you. And so we confuse knowledge and insight with true transformation. And so, for example, we may listen to a TED Talk about grit. I don't know if you guys have listened to that TED Talk about grit. Right, it's about how do successful people become successful. They have grit. Right? That's the, basically the determination to actually uh, press through hard things and to, um, and to suffer well, and to, but to keep moving forward. Right? The more grit you have, the more success you'll be. And so people thought, oh, I listened to the TED Talk. Now I have grit. No, you don't. You listen to a TED Talk. Now you know, but you don't have grit. You have to actually suffer now. Um, you know, for some of us, like myself, we're parents, and man, I listen to parenting podcasts, and I get all this information, and that's great, but sometimes I think, oh, I'm a better parent now because I listen to this thing. No, I'm not. I have to practice it now. I have to put it into practice. It's a messy process, this whole learning thing. And in fact, in the Bible, did you know that this word discipleship is actually better translated apprenticeship? But whenever we Christians think about discipleship, what comes to your mind? A classroom setting, studying, learning, right? That's not discipleship. Discipleship is apprenticeship. It's apprenticeship to our Lord Jesus, watching Jesus, learning from Jesus, practicing what Jesus did, and then ultimately, like, reflecting upon those experiences and then rinse and repeat. Learn, watch, do, reflect. Learn, watch, do, reflect, and doing it again and again, being messy, uh, and, and, and not getting it right the first time, and trying again, and doing it, and learning, and doing all these things. It's a messy, messy process. We are called to be apprentices to Jesus. It is not simply about intellectual assent, 
I think as a church, we've come to believe that as long as we believe the right doctrines, we're okay. As long as you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you got your ticket to heaven, that's fine. You don't got to do anything else. But this is what has poisoned the church for far too long. This is why I didn't experience transformation all those years. This is why the church is not exploding with true disciples. It's because we've mistaken belief for true transformation. Look, and finally we come to our passage here. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about today. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees? Look at what he says in verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So they think they're important. They think they have all the knowledge and all the wisdom. Verse 3, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. In other words, they have all this knowledge, they have all this insight, but they don't actually do what they say they're going to do. Now, Jesus is not saying he agrees with all the Pharisees' teaching, by the way. He, again, right, Sermon on the Mount, we've been studying this. He disagrees with a lot of what they're teaching. And so a better, a more paraphrased translation of this would be follow their teaching if you must, but be sure not to follow their example because they know things, but they don't actually do it. I want you to think about this, right? Jesus doesn't get angry at the sexually immoral. He doesn't get angry at the prostitutes. He doesn't get angry at the tax collectors who are thieves and swindlers. He doesn't get mad at the sinners. He doesn't get mad at all of these folks, right? The poor and the oppressed. He doesn't get mad at any of them in the Gospels ever. I can't even think of one area where he gets mad at them. But this whole chapter, chapter 23 of Matthew, is all geared towards religious people thinking that they know the answers. And they, they've got all the right things because they know stuff, but they're not doing it. And so he actually pronounces seven woes upon them. He's like, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you Pharisees. He scolds them again and again saying, you're cursed. And why is he angry? Because it is these religious folks that are causing hurt and pain. They're lopping these teachings onto people and they're crushing them with it. He says this later on. He says, look, you lop on these heavy burdens onto them and they can't bear it because you don't even help them. And this is why people have gotten hurt by the church. This is why the church is powerless. This is why the church is a place of stagnation when it should be bursting at the seams. This is why you see in church people faking it till they make it instead of actually experiencing true transformation. Look, I didn't include this part in our passage today, but later on in chapter 23, verses 13 to 15, look at what he says. He says, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you religious folks. You hypocrites, he says. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Those of you who know things but don't put into practice, you're hypocrites, he calls us. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. In other words, you don't even get into heaven. Plus, you're not even letting the people that you're discipling get into heaven either. Because you're discipling them all wrong. For you travel across the sea on missions and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert. convert. And when he becomes a convert or proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself because you teach them to know things but never to practice it. Look, friends, I don't want to make you feel bad or to guilt you, but this is what Jesus is saying to us here. If you preach, if you know things but you don't put into practice, you and I are hypocrites. This is what the church in America is known for. Have you ever heard of this term called easy believism? It's, it's when we just say, hey, all you got to do is like 
like believe in God and then you're saved. You got your ticket to heaven. That's all. That's it. There's no cost of discipleship. No nothing for you. Just, just believe and then you're saved. This is what the church of America is known for. Look, of course the scriptures tell us that we need to believe. And I'm not saying that we need to work for our righteousness, okay? Don't hear me talking about not working for your righteousness or working for, right? That's what the Sabbath is all about, not working for your righteousness. But here's the thing, right? When the Bible talks about believe, it's not saying just have an intellectual assent. It's not just ascending to the truth, but it's saying like trust in Jesus. Let me give you an example of this, okay? Um, one of my friends, Jason Min. He, he talked about this illustration in one of his sermons, and I thought it was such a great illustration on this word belief in Scripture, okay? But there was a guy named Charles Blondin, and he accomplished this amazing feat, okay? He um, decided to tightrope across Niagara Falls. And people were like, oh my goodness, so crazy, right? So he puts the tightrope out there, and he, he makes it successfully. He does it. But then in the ensuing days, he does some crazier things, okay? Uh, he executes a backwards somersault on the tightrope. Uh, he uh, he crossed while blindfolded across this tightrope. Uh, while he crossed the tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow, he did it on stilts one time, and then he did it in the dark with Roman candles at the end of that long stick that you have. You know, he had like little candles at the end of it to just light his way. And even one time, he stopped halfway across the tightrope. He I guess he brought like a a stove with him, and then he cooked an omelet in the middle of the tightrope. That he lowered that omelet down into a boat nearby and he fed some of the sailors on that boat. I mean, this man was an incredible tightrope walker. Well, one day he comes um, to, to, you know, people are coming from all over the globe to come and see him. And so he says this. He says, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to carry somebody on my back. Do you think that I can do it? And the whole crowd goes, yeah, you can do it, right? And he says, who wants to volunteer? And everyone's silent. This is what believe means. Do you believe that Jesus can just do stuff or do you actually believe that he loves you? Do you actually trust in him? Do you actually trust in his provision over your life? Or do you just believe he could do it? See, Jesus doesn't ask you to just believe. He says, come follow me. Come do the things that I do. Come and live the way I live. He's not asking you if you just believe he can do it. He says, come with me. Come and apprentice under me. See the way that I walk. In fact, that's what they did in Judaism. Literally, as the rabbis walked, the, the, the disciples would walk in their footsteps because they wanted to be exactly like the rabbis. And this is what we need to do. When Jesus lived his life on planet earth, he Sabbath. And this is why we Sabbath, because we want to be like Jesus. We want to practice the things he practiced. And look, the reason why the church is powerless is because we are not... In Acts 2 church, friends, do you, know, do you guys remember Acts 2? I think I've preached about it several times here. But Acts chapter 2 is a, a beautiful passage where the church is sharing everything, where they're loving everyone. They're in fellowship, right? They're breaking bread. They're singing hymns. They're, they're spending time together. They're being generous outwards, right? And they're adding to their numbers day by day. And everyone's like, we got to be an Acts 2 church. We got to be an Acts 2 church. Well, you know what? I, I, I believe, I believe the church in America is a Matthew 23 church. A church where, man, we're just hypocrites. We, 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 we know a lot of things, but we never practice it. And so this leads us to our next point. What happens as a result of this hypocrisy? This leads us to point to the practice of knowledge. Look at what he says in verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens. right? These are the religious folks. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. 
This is what happens when we're hypocrites, friend. We lay burdens on people's shoulders. Look at what R.T. Franz says. I love what he says here about this verse. He says, by saying and not doing, which is what we've been talking about, they imposed rules on other people but gave them no help in coping with them. So in contrast with the kind yoke and the light burden, remember Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm kind. I have an easy burden, right? A light yoke, right? He says, instead of the light burden of following Jesus, those who follow the scribes and Pharisees find themselves toiling and heavily loaded, struggling under the weight of a hugely expanded legal code which enslaves rather than liberates those who follow Jesus. Do you know why the laws of God sometimes seem cumbersome and oppressive? It's because we've had people, including myself, tell you what to do, but we've never showed you how to live that. You know what I'm saying? Like we tell you, hey, be forgiving, but we never show you what that actually looks like. We tell you, hey, rest in Christ, but we never show you how to do that. We tell you the commands, but we never show you by modeling it for you. And see, this is what Franz is saying. He's saying that when we command, but we don't give good examples of how to live this out, we end up burdening people because we don't give them models for how to live this stuff out. Because this is how we learn. We learn by modeling, not by teaching. Right? An example of this is the Christian's position on same-sex sex. Right? It's, it's just a hard command for us to, to swallow sometimes. And, and in the past, what I've seen modeled for me personally is either this, these two outlines, right? Either hate, the community of people and hate the sin. Okay, that's one model. Okay, and then here's the other model, which is love them and then love their sin. These are the only two models we've been given. And so it feels like we have to choose a side. And we've never seen somebody model for us. How do we love? How do we embrace? How do we have mercy and kindness and compassion towards this community while at the same time holding on to what we believe Scripture says about sexual purity? And we've never seen this model for us. And so this command becomes cumbersome and toilsome and it becomes heavy and it, it, it like smashes down. And we're like, what are we doing? Right, even last week I preached on retaliation and forgiveness. And we've had pastors and preachers preach at us or teach us or commands like that. But we don't see people practicing it. And so it becomes cumbersome and heavy. And we're like, how do we do this? Like this person just like cursed my mom out and they like, they like set some, my car on fire and you're asking me to forgive them? Like how do I do that? They're going to just keep doing it again and again. And we've never seen it modeled for us. And so this is why these commands become cumbersome and heavy and burdensome. Look, even your work, right? I've preached on this. I, I've said, oh, your work has to be worshipful. Your work should be worshipful. Your nine to five should be worshipful. And a lot of you probably thought this, well, how do, how do I make data analysis like worshipful? And you're exactly right. How do you do that? You've never seen it modeled for you. How you make data analysis or like auditing, like a worship unto God, right? You're working for this huge mega corporation where you don't see any of your work, right? You, it just kind of go, goes in the air. And you've never seen it modeled for you, and so you struggle with it. It becomes cumbersome, toilsome, and heavy. Learning by modeling is so powerful, friends. Um, let me just give you an example of this. I know it's a basketball illustration, but hopefully you can follow, right? When I was, I was born in the 80s, but I grew up in the 90s. So that's primarily my childhood was in the 90s. And if you remember in the 90s, right, who was the best basketball player in the 90s? Michael Jordan, right? And so I remember being a little kid, right, little, you know, scrubby, you know, overweight junior high kid and, like, trying to, like, do, like, layups and trying to be like Michael Jordan. So what I would do is, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but Michael Jordan's famous move, right, was the fake, and then he would come around the backside of the hoop, and then he'd lay it up. You guys remember that? Some of you guys know? 
Okay, maybe some of you. Okay. Well, anyhow, he had this move where he would like fake it, and then he would kind of go to the other side of the hoop and do a reverse. And so all the kids my age in junior high would do that move, right? They go to the basketball court, right? They try to be like Mike, right? Try to do the fake and reverse and do that all the time. Every single kid was doing it. And then I stopped playing basketball for a while, and then around the 2010s, I reemerged. My, my game reemerged, right? I came back onto the scene, and um, but then I started playing with some of these kids, and it was completely different. No one was practicing the the fake and then the reverse. You know what kids were practicing now in 2010? They're, sh they're shooting three pointers, like crazy deep ones from like 15 feet behind the three point line, and chucking it up. Do you know why? Because Steph Curry, Steph Curry came onto the scene and he changed the whole game. I mean, if you, uh, if you have a chance, you should listen to LeBron James's uh, interview documentary on HBO. Um, he, he does a quick little uh, interview on it, but he talks about how Steph Curry changed the game so much. Where, like, before it was passed down to the big guy down below, Carl Malone, you know, go up and score. But now it's, like, about the perimeter. Just pass it, pass it, pass it, find the open guy, shoot it. Three-pointers. Why? Because it was modeled for us. There was a guy named Steph Curry who came along and said, this is possible. To make this many three-pointers at this kind of percentage, and it became more about analytics now. Because modeling is so much more powerful. Look, if you have children, look, parenting is best done when you model your faith. And modeling your faith, honestly, more often than not, you're going to talk about your mistakes than your progress. You're going to say, hey, like, I tried this, but it was really hard and it was really tough. And, like, this is how I worked my way through this messiness. And if you have kids and you're a parent, man, like work through the messiness with your kids. They don't want to hear the teaching or the preaching. They want to see you trying to live it out. And then they want to hear from you where you failed. And so instead of talking about like, look, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. But you, you say, hey, look, I, I, I think I kind of know what you're going through. And here's how I dealt with it. I actually failed pretty miserably. Let me tell you how and why. Look, let me ask you this. How do you know you're a hypocrite? You know that you're a hypocrite when you do all your deeds in public. This is what he goes on to say in verse 5. He says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And so let me ask you this. Do you do all your deeds in public, all of your good deeds? Pharisees would literally wear these like scarves. That's what these um, fringes were, right? There were these long scarves. And at the end of the scarves in the book of Numbers, they're, they're told to make these kind of like frays, these kind of fringes. Uh, and, but what ended up happening is these Pharisees wanted to show off how pious and holy they were. And so they would make these fringes like really, really long so that they could show it off. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, there's a famous passage where they say to write the law on your forehead and to bind them on your wrists. And so the Pharisees took this to literally mean that they should do that, write the law on their foreheads and bind it on their hands. So they actually created phylacteries, which are these leather boxes, and they would actually tie it to their forehead. So you would see, and even today, you could see rabbis wearing these big old leather boxes on top of their head and, and just strapped to their head. And then they have these leather wristbands that are kind of flowing all around to show you that they're trying to take the command seriously. And at this time, I don't know about today, but at, at least at this time for the religious folks of this day, they were using it as a means to get more attention. It became about a show. And so let me ask you another question. Do you have a private faith or just a public one? And look, I know I, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to get you to think about your life right now. Do you have a private faith or do you just have a public one? Like you only pray when you come to church. You only read scripture around other Christians. You're nice to your spouse around other people. But at home, you are a maniac and a jerk. 
Man, I just learned this from my mother um, when she visited the last time around. But my mom's mother, so my grandmother, was in one of the most abusive relationships that I, I, I have come to know. I mean, he was cheating on her. He was beating her up violently. But you know what my grandmother would do? On the outside, in the public, she would grab my, my grandfather's hand and she would pretend like they're lovey-doveys. And she'd be like, oh, he's so strong. Oh, he's so good. He's so this. And she would kind of like snuggle up next to him in public and do all this stuff. And my mom was like so confused. Because at home, she would see my grandfather beating up my, my, my grandmother. And then on the outside, they would show all the good stuff. Are you only generous around other people? Are you only kind when you're at, uh, at church, but then you go into work and you're a completely different person? Or you go out of your way for people at church, but then when you're at home, you won't lift a finger for the people in your family. Again, I'm not trying to say these things to guilt you. I'm asking you these questions because I want you to think about your life. And you see, what I've found over the span of my short life is this, that practice doesn't happen in public. Practice happens in the secret place, in the private places of your life. You know, I've been interested in what makes people successful, and that's why I watched this LeBron James uh, documentary. I wanted to see how great people think. Because whatever you think about LeBron James, whether Michael Jordan or Kobe or whoever's the greatest, right, you have to admit that he's one of the great basketball players. And one of the things that you find in the documentary is he says, like, look, the, the, the outside game that you see LeBron James playing, that, that's just the tip of the iceberg of all the stuff that he's doing behind the scenes that we never see or hear about. And one of the things he talks about is when he was in high school, he was like, I just started icing. I just started, he was like, I didn't need to. I wasn't feeling pain. I was a young guy. But he's like, I just started icing then. I started creating this habit where I iced. And he said, the reason why is because I saw NBA players icing after they practice, after they played games. So I thought, they're great. I have to start doing this too if I want to become great. And so he just started icing. I mean, you can learn about how Kobe or Michael or, or LeBron James, all of these great players would practice and practice and practice. And yeah, what you saw in game day was what you saw in game day. But behind that was a load of secret place practicing that you never got to see ever. Right? Even, uh, even in the music world, okay, if you don't jive with the sports analogy, in the music world, uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you like Justin Timberlake. I certainly do. I've watched some of his performances, like his concerts, and they're amazing, right? These production-level shows, man, it's crazy. But then if you actually learn more about Justin Timberlake, man, behind every step, behind every firework, behind every movement on stage is practice, 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 practice. I mean, he is practicing privately and not showing you any of that stuff. But all he shows you is that concert, that day. And it, he makes it look effortless. He makes it look seamless. But in reality, he's been practicing, practicing, practicing. Look, even for you, you know, right? If you do TikTok or you do Instagram, you, sh you show one of those 15-second clips, right, where you do a little dance, what happens before the 15 seconds is actually filmed? You got to practice that dance. And I know some of you have practiced that dance for an hour, two, or maybe even three to get it just right. Why? Because in order for it to come out perfectly on the video, you have to practice it. How do we ever think we'll grow just by being kind on the outside for an hour on a Sunday? How do we ever think we're going to grow in prayer or in worship or in love or in grace if we just practice it an hour on Sundays whenever we're around people? Like if you're just a Sunday Christian, it doesn't matter how inspirational our worship service is, it isn't going to change you. Another Bible study is not going to change you. Don't get me wrong. It's great. It's lovely. My wife is doing Bible study right now, and it's fantastic, but it's not going to change you. 
You have to go home into the secret place of your corridors and practice your faith where no one's going to give you credit, where no one's going to see what you've done in secret, where no one's going to give you a round of applause. But you're saying, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I don't need applause. I've already gotten that from you, Jesus. You've already given me the, re the reception that I need. But now I want to practice the gospel. I actually love you and I want to grow and I want to transform. Your growth is going to come when you practice in the secret place where people won't see any of this stuff. And this is why at our church here at New Life Fellowship, we emphasize the spiritual practices. We emphasize silence and solitude. We emphasize prayer, reading scripture, being in community, Sabbathing. We'll talk later on about simplicity in the years to come, meaning like don't spend as much as humanly possible. Like you don't have to have everything you've ever wanted. You can live simply. Generosity and even service, serving and loving other people. That's a spiritual practice, which is why sometimes people say, I grow after I serve. It's like, yeah, because you're practicing your faith. Look, we want to invite you into this practice, into this secret place where you Sabbath and you rest and you enjoy God. And what we're hoping is you're doing is you're learning to trust in God. I know you got to send that email. I know, I know you're up for that promotion. You got to send that email. You got to be busy. You got to show your boss you're doing all this work and just saying, God, it's okay. I'm going to put it down. I don't got to work 50 hours. I don't, I don't got to work 80 hours. I don't got to do that kind of crazy work. I'm just going to rest today and enjoy you and trust that you are going to provide for me. See, on the cross, even Jesus rested in the Father. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even on the cross, although he was filled with agony and pain, he rested in the Father's love and embrace. On the cross, Jesus Christ was being defeated by the powers, by the principalities. It looks like death had its hold on him. And yet he trusted in the Father's provision to raise him back to life and to provide life for him and life for all those who would come to believe in his name. And because of his work on the cross, we can rest in his promises. Because Jesus didn't say, I'll just give you a little money. I'll give you a little stuff here. He says, I'm going to give you my life, my body, my blood broken and spilled out for you. Trust me. Practice the Sabbath. Come into my rest. And so church, I want to invite you into the Sabbath, into a time where we get to enjoy God, where we get to stop our work and to really rest in his presence. Amen. Let's pray. I know that there are so many things running in people's minds right now, Lord. Maybe they're thinking this will be pretty tough. Maybe some people are excited, Lord. Maybe people feel guilty, Lord, or shameful. But Lord, in this place right now, would you quiet our minds? Would you bring peace to our souls? And would we be reminded again, Lord, that it is not our work that will save us, but it is your work on the cross that saves us, Lord, that we can rest in that promise, Lord. So, Lord, we have to trust, Lord, in everything that you've done for us. And so, Lord, would you remind us of the love and acceptance that we have, Lord, that none of these practices will come out of a, a, a guilt of earning, trying to earn your favor, Lord. We already receive it. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us to remember that we've already received your grace and your love, Lord, and we don't have to earn that. But, Lord, what we want to do now is practice our faith 
and remember, God, that the transforming work of the power is available to us, Lord. But it is only when we work out our salvation in fear and in trembling, Lord. And so, Lord, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the motivation, Lord, to begin making plans, preparing, Lord, and to really living our lives for you and for you alone? Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we respond to this word of God by worshiping him in response. At the same time, if you'd like prayer, we have prayers on the uh, left-hand side as well as the right-hand side. Uh, You can come and receive prayer if you'd like. But let's go ahead and respond in worship.